Hey, good morning, Access. Uh, my name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here. Today, we're beginning a new series called Failing Forward. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the mistakes, the missteps, and the failures of people in the Bible and asking ourselves what we might learn from these less than flattering incidents. In some ways, this is like the opposite of the series that we just concluded on calling, where we were looking at biblical heroes and drawing inspiration from the positive aspects of their stories. I don't know about you, but certainly for me, I would much rather not dwell on the dumb things I've done in my past, right? I prefer to think about my accomplishments, the mountaintop experiences, not the valley experiences in wading through thick, heavy mud. But there's something to be gained by looking at uh, the mistakes that people make, that you and I make. That is part of our journeys. Our journeys are full of the good things, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and what we'll see is that uh, you know, the good things are things we should celebrate and the things, uh, the mistakes, the failures, those are things that we need to learn from. And when it comes to people in the Bible, it's no different. Even the best of characters, people like Moses and David, for example, they make incredible mistakes and their stories preserved in the words of scriptures have much to teach us. So would you pray with me this morning, asking God to help us hear his word. Gracious God, thank you so much for gathering us together today to worship you and to hear your word. Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning. We are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Who would you say is the most significant character in the Old Testament? My guess is that many of you said a five-letter word that begins with the letter M. Not uh, M-I-C-K-E-Y, that's six letters, but M-O-S-E-S, -E Moses. Uh, Moses is truly one of the great Hall of Famers. He's the first person in the Bible to learn the very name of God, Yahweh. Uh, he is... Uh, he's the one that confronts the might of the Pharaoh and with never before seen power, signs and miracles and wonders, delivers his people from Egypt and leads them through the Red Sea uh, out of Egypt, out of slavery. Disney turned this into a movie called The Prince of Egypt. Moses spoke to God face to face and received some of the greatest moral instruction in the history of humankind, what we call the Ten Commandments. Hollywood turned this into a movie called The Ten Commandments. So to have one movie made about you or inspired by you, that's, that's really great. But to have two movies, that's a sign of unparalleled greatness. But did you know that this great leader, this towering figure of biblical history, this bona fide hero of our faith, that he never finished his assignment? That's right. Uh, Moses' mission was to lead the people out of, uh, out of Egypt and into the promised land. And he failed at that mission. He got a big F for that. Moses never made it into the promised land. 
He would die before that. That would become Joshua's job, his predecessor. Moses' journey would end in the desert because he made a major and costly mistake along the way. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 20, starting at verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. If you're familiar with the Moses story, you'll know that uh, his leadership of the Israelites is a masterclass in patience, perseverance, and agility. No matter what he would seem to do, no matter what he did, they always found a reason to push back, to complain, and to test him. And this line of reasoning that we hear in this passage, it would have been better for us, dot, dot, dot. It would have been better for us to die. It would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. Uh, this line of reasoning was a familiar one. You see, the people were wandering through scorching hot deserts and barren wilderness. They were tired, you know, understandably, hungry and thirsty. And they would complain and they would wish that they were back in Egypt. Even if it was as slaves, at least they had their basic needs met. Of course, this wasn't a rational thing. Uh, being a slave wasn't better. When they were slaves, they complained about that situation. But these complaints, both past and in this story, were born out of deep frustration and tiredness. Uh, this past week, it reminds me, of my, my family and I went on an RV trip. And at one point, one of our kids was on the verge of just breaking down. You know, parents of young ones, you, you, you know this, right? You can see the tears welling up. They're, they're starting to, you know, their voice takes on that whiny tone. They're about to break down. They're about to lose it. Well, this was one of my kids the, this past week. The RV was just too hot. And so he says to me, I'm too hot, he complained. And, you know, he stomped on the, stomped on the ground on the verge of tears. Uh, so I said, okay, let's get out. But getting out meant uh, being even hotter for a few moments, for a few more minutes before we would reach the restaurant because we'd have to traverse the parking lot and all that. And the Texas sun was just brutal. Um, so he didn't want to get out. Uh, it was hot in the RV and it was even hotter outside. So it was a true catch-22. Um, so I forcibly hoisted him onto my shoulders and I carried him into the restaurant, a Rudy's, that had, thank God, its AC just on full blast. I felt relieved as I felt like waves of cool air on the both of us. Um, but then a few minutes later, he looks at me and he says, well, actually he whines, Daddy, I'm cold, I'm too cold. What, I thought to myself, you stiff-necked people. <laughs> no, I, I didn't think that. I just knew that he was, you know, he was just having a rough time. It was just one of those meltdowns that little kids have. And apparently adults have sometimes too. 
because the Israelite people were having their own uh, meltdown at this point. So what does Moses do? Verse six, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its waters. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses and his right-hand man, while his brother, Aaron, seek God's counsel. And God gives them some very clear instructions. He tells them, one, take your staff. Two, gather the people. Three, speak to the rock. And four, water will gush out of the rock. Problem solved. So let's see what happens. Verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. So how well did Moses follow God's instructions? Well, take your staff. He did that check. Uh, Gather the people. He did that check. Calling them rebels? Well, God never said to do that. Okay, so that's kind of like extra. Uh, Three, God told him to speak to the rock. Well, Moses hit the rock twice. So I guess X, he didn't do that. Four, water gushes from the rock. Check. So three out of the four things happen, just as God had instructed. Now, depending on what kind of parents you grew up, you're either thinking, well, that's pretty good, you know, uh, 75%. That's like, average. That's like a C. Or you're thinking, that's a C. That's like, that's like failing. <laughs> that's not so good. Either way, the people still got what they were wanting, water. So all should be good, right? And then here's the unexpected part. Now, remember, this is Moses. This is the Prince of Egypt. This is the bearer of the Ten Commandments. This is the Old Testament Hall of Famer. Verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. Hmm. When I first read what happens, I'm kind of like, hold up. What just happened? I thought Moses basically did what you told him to do. Sure, he hit the rock instead of speaking to that, speaking to it, but is that such a big deal? Certainly not a big enough deal to prevent him from fulfilling his mission, from going into the promised land as he was supposed to. So at first, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But then I remember something, and maybe you thought of this too. I remember reading about a story in Exodus that's eerily similar to this one. It also involves complaining people, a rock, and water, and is found in Exodus chapter 17. Now, Exodus 17 might sound like the same story, but it's not. This event in Exodus 17 happens at the onset of their journey into the desert. 
a few decades before the events we just read about in Numbers. And so let's look at Exodus 17 for a moment. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Did you catch that? The first time God tells Moses to strike the rock. The second time Moses tells, God tells Moses to speak to the rock. The first time Moses was the newly minted leader of people. And this would be the first of many, many tests. He was confused. He was scared for his life. He was frustrated and he didn't know what to do. So he sought the Lord and he clung to every single word God told him and did exactly as God said. The second time, Moses was the veteran, the weather-worn, aged, and familiar leader of his people. This was yet another test piled upon dozens upon dozens of tests before that. Would his people ever get it? How long would he have to put up with this? And the second time, Moses sought the Lord as he did the first time. But in the second time, I'm not sure how well he was listening. In the second water test, Moses does the same thing he did the first time he was tested. Well, not exactly the same thing. He strikes the rock as he did the first time, but not once, he does it twice. And so I wonder, I wonder if he envisioned their complaining faces while he struck twice. I wonder if he struck twice because he wanted to make a point. I wonder if he struck twice because he liked the sound of his staff slamming against the rock. And after all, Moses chastises them, you rebels. You know, maybe not the best diss of all time, but you could tell Moses is mad. He's annoyed. He's frustrated with the people. God certainly didn't tell him to say that. And Moses says, must we? You know, must we bring you water out of the rock? Must we? That's interesting, isn't it? Shouldn't he have said, must God? Must God bring you water from the rock? It's a subtle difference in words, but it represents a big shift in perspective. Instead of focusing on God, Moses puts the focus on himself and Aaron. Whereas Moses once clung to every word that God has said. One now gets the sense that Moses had slipped into a sort of been there, done that kind of attitude where he was 
kind of just going through the motions with God. Yes, he still sought God, but was he really seeking God? Was he really listening? Maybe Moses heard God say, speak to the rock, but he intentionally decided not to obey. You know, he thought to himself, I've been here before. It's the same situation, same stubborn people, same staff, same brother. What difference does it make if I speak or hit the rock? I'll just hit the thing because that's what I did the last time. That's what I'm used to. Or maybe uh, Moses heard, but he didn't really hear. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a situation where you're annoyed with someone like a, a sibling, a parent, a spouse, a boss, a teacher, and you're thinking to yourself, I know exactly what they're going to say, so I'm just going to tune them out. You know, you nod, but you're just, you're just totally checked out. I think maybe Moses thought, you know, I know what God's going to tell me. He's going to tell me to get my staff, gather people together, and hit the rock. Got it. Yada, 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 right? I believe his frustration with the people kicked in a sort of autopilot in Moses. People complain, hit the rock. And as a result of this autopilot, as a result of his not really paying careful attention and listening, Moses trivialized the words of God. In this moment, he did not treat God as holy and worthy of the careful attention and obedience, which had up to this point been so characteristic of Moses' life. And that brings us to what we may learn from Moses' mistake. That past faithfulness isn't a guarantee of present or future faithfulness. That present faithfulness is a moment-to-moment commitment that present faithfulness requires persistent attention to God's word and God's voice in order to disrupt our often faulty autopilots. It's really easy along our journeys in life to kind of switch into autopilot. You know what I'm talking about? To get just sort of lackadaisical, careless, to go through the motions. And that can lead to some major missteps and mistakes. Years ago, I was on staff at a church and uh, we were hosting a birthday party for me and my son, both both of our birthdays are in July. The guest list was getting too long, so we had to pare down the list. And now if you've ever organized an event with limited capacity, this isn't easy sometimes. You feel badly for not inviting people you would otherwise want to invite. Well, that's the situation I faced. Um, And at that time I worked with a dozen uh, other colleagues and I was naturally closer to some than others. So uh, I emailed a list of people that we didn't need to invite to my wife, Grace, who was going to send out the invites. Uh, I was in a bit of a rush. I was not really paying attention, careful attention. And I hit send. And that's when it suddenly occurred to me what I had just done. I hadn't just emailed Grace a list of people we didn't need to invite. I had emailed the entire guest list, including the people that we were not going to invite, a note saying we didn't need to invite them. 
So this is before Gmail had that undo function. Un function. So I panicked. No, that's not understatement. I freaked out. Internally, I was imploding. A couple of minutes later, a friend of mine who was also on staff at the church, who I had invited, uh, calls me. And he says, John, I just got an email from you. Uh, you sent it to everyone. And I was like, I know. So for the next hour, I went, I just started thinking through all the possible options. Maybe I could break into their offices. It was like a Sunday afternoon. Maybe I could break into their offices and then delete the email before they could see it. Uh, maybe I could hack into their email accounts and get rid of the email. I mean, all these things were floating through my mind. I was desperate, y'all. I was seriously uh, feeling extremely desperate. Finally, I realized that there wasn't anything I could do but to face the music. So I proceeded to call each person and to apologize. It was so embarrassing, so humbling, and I felt so badly. Uh, everyone that I called was extremely gracious. I mean, that was the caliber of the people that I got to work with and, and be colleagues with and friends with. But I know my carelessness had an impact. Uh, that mistake had consequences um, on my relationship with that team. You know, how could it not? Uh, I still wince. Uh, no, I actually shudder when I think about this incident. But it is a part of my story now. And I've learned from that mistake. There are many situations throughout our lives and throughout the day where we're confronted with opportunities to pay careful attention to how the spirit is leading or to just go on autopilot. I find that in situations of conflict, for example, this is especially true. When I'm facing conflict with another person, whether that person is my wife or my children, a friend, or even just someone on the phone, uh, the emotions are riled up and the autopilot wants to kick in to high gear. So my typical autopilot is avoidance. I wanna go quiet, I wanna go silent, get passive aggressive, but internally I'm making judgment, I'm condemning. And in those moments, I know, I know the spirit of God is inviting me to stay connected with that other person, to get curious about their point of view, to say what is so for myself and to apologize where I have wronged them or I'm at fault. And the question always becomes whether I will heed the spirit's voice or not. The question is whether I will pay careful attention to God's voice in that particular moment or default into my unproductive autopilot. So that's the challenge before you and me and what we can learn from Moses. How do we avoid the temptation to get into this lackadaisical spirituality? How do we guard against setting unconsciously into this attitude of you know, I know the drill. It's wash, rinse, repeat with God. Well, we make it a practice through spiritual practices and disciplines, disciplines, through slowing down, right? The, the hurried life is the enemy of being able to hear God's voice. 
And then we earnestly seek God, asking God, God, what are you doing around me today in this moment? Lord, what do you want me to know right now about this situation? God, how do you want me to respond to this person or to this crisis before me? This is what we can learn from Moses' story. Watch your life carefully, always. Because past faithfulness isn't the same thing as being faithful in the present or in the future. Be careful about just going through the motions because that's when you're prone to make mistakes that can have big consequences in your life. Now, I need to make something clear. Moses' mistake didn't erase everything that he had accomplished. And more importantly, it didn't change the way that God viewed him. In Joshua chapter 1, at the death of Moses, God praises Moses as his servant. He lifts him up and he uh, praises Moses. And he tells Joshua and promises to be with Joshua just as he was with Moses his whole life. So Moses' mistake, his failure in this moment, didn't jeopardize his relationship with God. And that is crucial. And that is really good news. Our standing with God isn't dependent on our successes or our failures. It's dependent on the grace of God made most manifest in the person of Jesus. So it's no accident that Jesus says to the woman in Samaria, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The grace of God is seen in the Moses story. Despite Moses' disobedience, despite his carelessness, water still comes gushing out. God still provides sustenance to meet the people's needs. And in Christ, we find streams of living water to come to us. Not because we followed all the rules, but despite the fact that we've disobeyed most of them. That is the grace of God. And throughout this series, we'll look for those grace notes in the midst of failure. Unexamined history tends to repeat itself. So we're looking at this incident in Moses' journey and asking ourselves, what can we learn from the Moses story as we navigate, navigate our own? In what ways have you and I settled into complacency or autopilot in our journeys that disrespects who God is, that disrespects God's commands? And what specific things, what specific ways help us to disrupt our autopilots so that we can pay more careful attention to God's presence in our lives. Let's take a few moments to reflect on these questions, to pay careful attention to what God is saying to us this morning. So I'm going to invite us into a moment of quiet reflection for the next few moments.
Before we say our sending prayer, I want to make a quick note. Many of you might recall that last year I took a sabbatical. It was a true gift. Um, starting this weekend, you might have heard that Pastor Ted will be taking his annual month-long sabbatical in July, and we want to pray for him and his family. Uh, one of our values as a church is prioritizing healthy leadership and service by emphasizing rhythms of rest and work. And our church's granting sabbatical to ministry staff is one way we've sought to put that into practice. So I'd like to invite you, would you join me in praying for Pastor Ted and his family? God, we thank you for Pastor Ted, for his love for you, his spiritual leadership at Access and in the Covenant, and his friendship as a brother in Christ. We pray together that you might deeply bless him during his sabbatical. We pray for joyful connections with Amy, Emmy, and Mia. We pray for meaningful, substantial rest, strengthen his soul and his body. We pray for sweet times of scripture reading, prayer, and reflection as he spends unhurried moments with you. We pray for renewal, strengthening, and filling so that he might continue to run the race you've set before him keeping his eyes steadily focused on you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's say our sending prayer together now. Loving God through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen. Friends, we hope to see you uh, in person next Sunday uh, at our in-person gathering or online if you're not able to attend in person. Blessings. <laughs>